Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where people tell me five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and one thing they'd like to bury and forget. My guest in this episode is Glenn Moore. Glenn is a comedian, actor, and one of the best and most prolific joke writers in the country. Glenn is a regular face on TV, having appeared on Mock the Week, The Russell Howard Hour, Rob Delaney's Stand Up Central, The Stand Up Sketch Show, Out There, The Great American Joke Off on US TV, House of Games, and Pointless Celebrities. He also appears regularly on BBC Radio 4's The News Quiz and The Now Show. He's written for Scrambled, The Mash Report, Play to the Whistle, and Russell Howard's Good News. And he can be heard daily as one quarter of the Dave Berry Breakfast Show on Absolute Radio, the UK's biggest commercial radio breakfast show. He's also a presenter on the BBC Sounds gaming podcast, Press X to Continue, which I'm an avid listener to. No, I'm not. But never mind, I'm sure it's wonderful. His critically acclaimed stand-up show, Glen, 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 How Do You Like It, How Do You Like It, was nominated for the Edinburgh Comedy Award. He also toured the UK with his follow-up hit Edinburgh show, Love Don't Live Here, Glenny Moore. He's also known for his silly, offbeat one-liners, as you can tell from the titles of his shows. And his very funny tweets have earned him a huge following. We recorded this episode as his new Radio 4 series, Glenn Moore's Almanac, was due to start going out. It's been on for a few weeks now, so I hope you've heard it. If not, give it a listen. And if you're dubious, it's produced by David Tyler, who's produced much of the great radio comedy over the last 35 years, so it must be good. Anyway, that's the very exciting career of Glenn Moore, but what about his life, his loves, and the thing he really loathes? Well, let's discover more about those as he tells us his time capsule items. Here is Glenn Moore and me. How are you? All right. I'm very, very well. Thank you so much for having me. No, no, I'm delighted. We have strange connections, which you probably don't even know about. But uh... I'm intrigued to know. I'm assuming... Yes. David Tyler... Is one. Is one. Yeah, he produced... Radioactive, which was a comedy show I did in the 1980s. Is, um, okay, is the, is the other person radioactive related? Not really, no. I was going to say, I was going to say Angus. Ah, uh, yeah, no. But I've only it's met not. him about three times, so I assume, I assume not. <laughs> that's enough. I think in life, that's about as much as people can take. Yeah. Um, no, Dan Patterson. Of course. Of course. course. I've been to one of his sort of dinner parties before, which is actually where I met Angus for the first right. time. Uh, but yeah, it yeah. was... As someone who was, you know, in his twenties, living in London in the in the present, w- w- just found <laughs> all the story so difficult to relate to. Where 
uh, Dan was sort of saying that when he first when he first did Who's Line in America, they'd rented a house in LA, like in Beverly Hills, and his children were watching an old episode of MTV Cribs, and it was Courtney Love's house, and they realised from watching the TV show it was the house they were currently in. <laughs> uh, and I was sat there thinking, my nearest celebrity connection is um, Dennis Nilsson lived about two roads away from me. That was <laughs> that, <laughs> the drains are still smelling. I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh God. Well, no, it's lovely to talk to you. It's lovely you to too. have you as a guest. I think your gags. I can't imagine how you write so many beautiful gags. Oh, thank you so much. Ah, oh, they're gorgeous. I have no natural ability at all. It's, it was just, it was just. Like, I think I just sat down one day and just forced myself to learn how to write jokes. I couldn't. I never. I never could. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's very very kind of you to say. Thank you so much. No, well, I mean, people always assume if people are funny that mm. they are going to be funny all the time. Mm. My wife can't bear it when people say to her, "I bet you have such a laugh at home." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To be fair, I am constantly much to my girlfriend's disappointment constantly trying to be on like it's i'm probably very difficult to live with because i'm just yeah permanently trying to make a lot not succeeding try trying at all times Sometimes <laughs> if you succeeding. ever do just retire that's it if you yeah, ever yeah, succeed yeah, yeah. in making your partner laugh mm. i've only ever done it inadvertently all right <laughs> <laughs> But that's a very sensible thing in life to have somebody around you who says, mm, "Not really, not that yeah, funny." Yeah, that old. It was it was it the Roman emperor who I can't remember mm-hmm. who it was. It might who had the the whisper in the ear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. just a man. You're just a man. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, so I've got my girlfriend just walking behind me all the time, going, "Mot the week was cancelled." <laughs> but it's coming back. He's like yeah. a dog with a bone, isn't he? Dad. Yeah, He's no, quite absolutely. That's never going away. It was never going to go away. No. And you've also been doing. Um, is it joke off? Is that what it's called? The thing. In Great America? American joke off. Yeah, Great that American was joke off. Yeah, it started life as an ITV pilot called the Great British Joke Off, which mm-hmm. made sense because the Great British Bake Off is a show. Yes. Uh, however, when they took it to America, obviously America does have Bake Off, but it's known as I think the Great British Baking Show. So Great <laughs> American Joke Off doesn't make any sense, and I think lots of people assume it's like a, a masturbation pun. I think is what people. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Glenn, we're going to talk about five things you've chosen from your life to put into a time capsule, mm-hmm. four things you love, and one thing you'd like to put in there so you can forget it. Mm-hmm. So, Glenn, what have you come up with? Do you want them all in one go, or would you like them all one by one? Well, let's examine them one by one. Great, okay. Mm. The first one is every meal I made as a student. <laughs> I feel now, as a fully-fledged adult, I now cannot get away with anonymously making the meals that I used to make over the course of my three years at university. Mm. And I wish I could. I'm just worried it would be heavily scrutinised if people saw the sort of stuff I made. It was fine, <laughs> it was fine at the time because I was doing it in the privacy of my own student flat. But it was um, there were three crucial meals that I made for the most of my, most of my time as a student. My, my parents were quite um keen uh when i went to uni on being able to cook i was in sort of self-catered accommodation they were like you're gonna you know you're gonna do this yourself you're gonna learn but the meals they taught me to make were not just a simple whack this in the oven it was like okay so this is chicken breast <laughs> stuff with cheese and wrapped in bacon on a bed of tagliatelle with like a sort of cream sauce and it, it, that cost like 11 pounds to make which i just didn't have no. so um i the first two years of uni i think every single day i made um sausage bolognese uh, which mm-hmm. was just simply I chopped up some sausages and I poured tomato sauce on it and uh, as in like a, a pasta sauce and then some pasta and in my head that was like that I'm getting everything I need there um <laughs> my my treat meal that I'd have uh, usually on weekends was those small round Chicago town pizzas they're really not you know really not very probably about double the circumference of a of a mug um mm. and uh you micro those for three minutes but they come in packs of two so what I would do is I put one on top of the other and make a sort of sealed off pizza house because they're quite high-rise crusts <laughs> hence the Chicago style um mm. and I would eat I would eat this this pizza just this this globe it was it was just this <laughs> this disc of pure pizza um and the the, the dough all the way around the outside sort of acted as the plate and it was just this amazing plate where you get to eat the plate it was you know that, that mm. was my favorite um and then by the time i uh, was coming towards the end of uni i was um i was working at a restaurant about sort of three nights a week and it was really difficult 
working at this really fancy silver service restaurant. I think I only got hired because I had this sort of um, ridiculous sort of accent and I was up in Sheffield and it was a mm-hmm. really fancy restaurant. Um, Nick Clegg was the deputy prime minister at the time and he used to come in there quite a lot. So it's very, very fancy sort of place. He would have the whole restaurant to himself as well. It was very, very strange. <laughs> they, there were only about, there were only about third, <laughs> there was probably about 15 tables in a restaurant, but mm. we knew, we always knew in advance Nick Clegg was coming because what would happen is we'd get a phone call like six months in advance of someone booking this table just we just book a table for one and we go okay fine then the next day someone would ring up again ask for that same day and go can i can i have a table for one and eventually the entire restaurant would be have been booked up for tables for one with the exception <laughs> of obviously one table of 10 which is gonna be nick clegg and all his friends mm. and then all those other tables were just made up of security guards who yeah. would just sit at these tables on their own um just having you know one diet coke and not ordering anything but they'd all <laughs> they'd all be sat in tables for one like some weird sort of food exam it was really strange <laughs> but it was a really fancy restaurant but it was you know, that's that a perfect I've... example glenn a perfect mm. example of when politicians say i've spoken to lots of people and they all agree with me yeah yeah, yeah. You go, yeah oh, you, your colleagues yeah, all you've got is security people around you. You never yeah, see no, anyone yeah. else. <laughs> <laughs> so it was. I mean, he was he was very pleasant. Everyone was sort of nice. I remember the Sheffield Wednesday's owner at the time used to come in, and there was a rule laid on by his entourage of you are not allowed to look at him when you take his order. Don't look at him. And you go, oh yeah, real you know, real man of the people vibes. Um, so it was. It was a very fancy restaurant, so it was difficult being there as a student where it was like I was serving all this lovely food that I simply would not be able to afford to eat myself. Mm. And I'd be rushed off my feet and I'd get back shattered after every shift. And what I would do is I, I cannot believe I was able to consume this as a student, but I would usually get three quarters of a pack of spaghetti. I did on one occasion do a whole packet, but three quarters of a pack of spaghetti, um, an entire bag of Sainsbury's Basics beef and pork mince, which they just didn't really, it was just both animals. It all ground <laughs> into this sort of cat litter sort of dirt. I loved it. It was so crunchy. I, I really want to have it to this day. Um, that really I'd is em- whatever's left over. Isn't yeah, it? I'd empty the bag, like 900 grams worth of it, just empty it all out into the frying pan. No other ingredients apart from just a big jar of dalmio sauce or Sainsbury's basic sauce and I put that all in and it was so large that I would usually have to cook it in two separate pans and I would serve it in a salad bowl and the (laughs) piece de resistance was I'd get an entire garlic bread baguette and stick that in the top like a 99 with flake and I would just consume the whole thing like a desperate Dan mash pie it was exactly like his cow pie it was Mm. fully like that it was it would take me hours to eat it and i would just sit there at my desk (laughs) my own food exam just eating it all and just consuming it and i just wish i could do that still to this day and i know that my girlfriend would be really really upset if i brought that into the into the home because i i just didn't know how to i didn't know how to cook i remember my mum sort of saying you know when you want to thicken the sauce you get a tube of tomato puree and i remember not being able to find any i used an entire tube of garlic puree an entire Mm. tube I really thought my housemates were going to call the emergency services over my farts. And I'm not, I, I, even then, I'm not specifying which emergency service I would get. Either I needed a hospital or I needed to be arrested with immediate effect. Or doused down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My girlfriend works as a, as a, as a comedy writer. And so when, when she's working on shows at sort of live TV and stuff like that, then it means she's out for the whole evening, which means I've got the whole kitchen to myself, which means I, st- I try to make as close a recreation of that as I can. Mm. And she'll just, even as she's walking up the road, she's like, I can sense four <laughs> doors down. I can smell the garlicky miasma. Uh, and I'm just, I'm, it, it's this real emergency of like, when I know she's coming back home, I don't want her to know about this grotesque smell. So I have all the windows open, just trying to defumigate the house <laughs> from this meal I've made. It's like, to- this food is toxic, but it's I like really you love said, it. I've given up cigarettes. I don't smoke yes, anymore. It's exactly that. It's like this real shame. <laughs> it's this real shame. It should be like, you know, I found... I found an empty jar of Dolmio in the airing cupboard. And I'm like, that's a secret that you shouldn't know about that. <laughs> so you do still buy the absolute cheapest ingredients you can then? It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if it's like Stockholm Syndrome, yeah. but I just get nothing out of the finest quality mints. It just doesn't do it for me. Mm. Whereas just this is just grit. It's just crunchy grip and there's this real satisfaction from doing it in the same way there's a real satisfaction from just eating a steak that's like quite chewy so i really give my mouth a workout here i know there's no respect to be gained from from making these meals or 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 telling them people about them but it costs about three pounds and it's incredible yes and assuming from this though then Mm. that you didn't often say to a girl 
in the bar. Um, fancy coming to dinner at my place then? I did it on one or two occasions, and and they they would always be so polite about it. They'd be so polite. <laughs> you say, no, no, you don't understand. It's two pizzas together. Yeah, it's together, and we can share it. You can have it's, two of your own. Unbelievable. Yeah. What I would do is if if uh, it actually, I I'd be a lot better if it was if I was cooking for someone because that's when I'd have to splash out and be like, right, I'll cook this elaborate meal that my parents taught me to make when I was seventeen, mm-hmm. which yeah. I have not been able to afford to make since. You know. No, the eleven mm. pounds splash out. Yes. The eleven pounds splash up. That's how. Yeah, I cared about these dates. Eleven pounds, <laughs> and they didn't recognise that clearly. No, no, it looked like it was the sort of thing I made every day. You know. Yes. Um, when I think back to my student accommodation, the idea that we invited people in there to eat in it is really disturbing. <laughs> uh, it was disgusting. <laughs> When we had to move out at the end of it, we found plates and cups under sofas that had been there the whole time. Oh, my God. I, I had this with um, a, a, a few years ago. I was – I say a few years ago. This was my, this was my first year at uni. Yeah. And I, I was so hungry one morning and I think quite hungover that I used a, not a salad bowl but something in between <laughs> for the largest portion of Cocoa Pops I'd ever had. Probably like the whole bag of Cocoa Pops. <laughs> and a friend of mine, Emily, knocked on my door to be like, we've got to go to this lecture. And I was so horrified about the idea of her seeing this enormous portion of Cocoa Pops that I hid it in a drawer mm. forgot about it for months until this <laughs> this sort of, you know, hidden dead body under the patio-esque smell started to sort of hit my room. Mm-hmm. And I opened up my desk and I didn't even recognise it as a bowl at first because the Cocoa Pops had all congealed and encrusted over into this sort of like, into a sort of like, sort of like a coral reef. It looked nice. <laughs> and um, I had to take it into the kitchen. I had to stab it again and again with a thought to try and penetrate it. And then underneath it was this fully liquid four-month-old milk that yes. then just hit me. Oh. oh, it was so grotesque. And again, yeah, I, I used to invite people over and, and we wouldn't get ill. No. No, you were used to it, I think. You yeah. know, but, but but destroying that that bowl, there were there were new forms of life in that that you probably didn't realise were there, and they'll never be found again. It's a yeah. Tragedy. I think actually that would have been a good twist at the end of Star Wars. If at the end of Star Wars <laughs> the camera zooms out, zooms out, zooms out, and the whole thing has taken place in that bowl of cocoa pops <laughs> in a student's house. Yes. Yeah. Mm. The worst dinner party we ever had, uh, I think was a spaghetti bolognese. Somebody said, well, well, let's have Mm -hmm. spaghetti bolognese. We all went, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, And we were used to eating things from the pan because it's saved in washing up. Oh, Uh, yeah. I used to do the same with um, what I'd do is I'd pretend that I was simply too full up to finish my meal. So I'd cling film it and put it in the fridge and that would save me washing it up. (laughs) Because I'd lie to myself, uh, I'll finish it tomorrow. I'll finish this food. Mm. Looks lovely. Mm. So what was wrong with the spaghetti bolognese? Um, Well... My cohabitor decided he was going to cook it. I'll get the stuff and I'll cook it. So we went, okay, I'll get some wine. We set up a table, somebody's desk from their room. We put it in the middle of the living room. Yeah. And we had a proper dinner party. And we ate this food. It wasn't great. And, <sighs> uh, and at the end of it, one of our guests said, what was in that bolognese? He said, oh, it's just um, it was a tin of mince, really. And we went, where, where is the tin? She went and looked. It was dog food. <laughs> <laughs> but they yep. always have a dog on the front. Yeah, I know. Why would you not? Yeah. Well, well, obviously, dog food from one of those shops just selling tins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a nameless tin. Yeah. I find that so strange with dog food when I have a picture of a dog because we don't know who that dog is. It's, it's, <laughs> I, the dog modelling world is incredible. That dog could be anyone. It could be anyone's dog. In the same way that it doesn't, it doesn't help advertise the food more. In the same way that a tin of baked beans may as well have like a photo of Ken Livingston on the front. Yeah, quite. Do you think that um, the dogs then look at those tins? You know, when a dog won't eat food mm. and you you open a tin and you put it out and the dog just turns its nose up at it do you think yeah. it's because it's seen the tin and gone there's no way i want to look like that dog yeah that dog's yeah. given me unrealistic body standards <laughs> <laughs> look at the back legs on that he's asking me if i'm beach doggy ready i'm not <laughs> oh god all right well i'm gonna put your food Thank uh, you. Say, Glenn, uh, no, I'm afraid it's going to go in its own special compartment. Oh, yeah, yeah, away from w- everything else. I wouldn't want your partner opening it and going, oh, mm-hmm. he's not done that, has he? Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, that goes in as the first thing. Mm. Lovely. Great. All right, what's number two? Number two is lucid dreaming. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I'm fascinated, and never have I been so fascinated by something so easily achievable that I've simply not been asked to be able to learn how to do. I was intrigued about the idea. I knew some people who said they'd learn how to do it. Uh, mm. If anyone doesn't know what it is, it's the idea that you can be in control of your dreams. You wake up in a certain situation. You don't, you don't necessarily decide what the dream is, whether, what the setting is. But when you establish it, you know you're in a dream, you can then move around and do whatever you want in that dream. Mm. And that's how you then spend eight hours of your sleep. That sounds great. And I looked up how to do it, and it was like, right, what you need to do is you need to write down, as soon as you wake up, just for a few days, Write down the second you wake up what your dream was about and memorize it that way. And I remember reading that first rule and going, I'm not doing that. No, no, no. <laughs> but it fascinates me about how to do it. And I just don't, like, I, I've just never, I've never been in control of a dream ever. And I, I want to be. And at the same time, I can't. And I'm, fa- I'm so fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I just won't spend, dedicate three days of my life writing down what my dream was so I, then I can teach myself how to, for the rest of my life, being fully in control. <laughs> Of eight hours of just pure imagination. Do you think these people are delusional? Do you not believe in it? or? Well, I find it hard to believe that you afterwards would say, well, I, yeah, I made that happen. That's what I wanted to happen, and therefore it happened. Oh, so it would be a case of they think they were in control, but actually mm. when they look back, they go, oh, my decisions were, <laughs> my decisions were insane. <laughs> Why was I kissing my mum? You know, like, yeah, they go, oh, I deliberately was trying to kiss my mum. Yeah, 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 I wanted to know what it was like. Yeah. yeah. They didn't yeah. see the spectre over their shoulder, as it were, the whole yeah, time. The yeah. dream was sort of going, you fool, you fool. <laughs> I because uh, I I love dreams. I love bad dreams because there's something nice about waking up and that relief. My God, um, is is great. And I don't know why, in particularly in slightly sort of archaic media and literature, dreams are always portrayed quite negatively. And I remember finding this a lot in sort of real cozy adventure novels and stuff like that. I remember it happened specifically in Lord of the Rings. I think quite a few times, mm. but it would try and really big up just how how cosy the situation was of the hobbits flying around this campfire and they really sink into this deep sleep. And they'd always say, and they sank into a long, dreamless sleep. And I'd always say, that's <laughs> shit, that's shit. <laughs> no, you want loads of dreams. That's the better, like... Good dreams, yeah. Yeah, and it would if they'd always write it, Gerard Talker would always write it in this really like, like pleasant way as if to be like, wasn't that great? They didn't have any dreams. And it makes as little <laughs> sense to me as if they go, and they cosily went to bed. And at three AM, they had to get up for a piss, and then they went back to sleep again. You go, no, that doesn't that doesn't sound <laughs> no, appealing no, to me. No, Frodo fell asleep, surrounded by cold and danger, and found himself on a beach in Bermuda. Exactly, our version of Bermuda, inexplicably. That that's that's how imaginative. Like as far as we're concerned, the most imaginative thing someone could come up with is the Lord of the Rings. But I guess from the Hobbit's perspective, the most imaginative thing they could come up with would be like Luton, because that's so vastly different to what they have. Yes. And so unthreatening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. Actually, thinking about it, probably not. But mm. um, have you had those dreams, you know, when you wake up and you go, oh, no, that was really good. That was a really great thing just about to happen. When you try to go back to sleep and get it to carry on. Oh, yeah. I'll do that sometimes if ever I need to get up in the middle of the night. I will keep my eyes closed as much as possible to be like, and the second <laughs> I lie down again, I'll be, we're pressing play again. We're, we're, back, mm. we're back at it. Usually I can drop back in to that same dream, but it will be like an improv scene in that it will then spiral off into a completely different direction the mm. next time. And you go, this wasn't, this isn't it. No. it you know, don't bring back Frasier. It, it, we, <laughs> I like the original. Let's leave it as it is. Um, so no, I just have this inability to. I, I went through a weird phase of a recurring dream, which I'd never had before. This is a few years ago, mm. where I kept having dreams at the same pub. It was always at the same pub, and it was a pub that didn't exist. The location where the pub was at existed. It was on the sort of at the end of the road where I was sort of brought up on. Mm. But it was just this this beach bar that all my dreams would be set at, and not not all my dreams, but I'd say like once a month over the course of like six months. I think. Oh, that's strange. It's really strange psychologically. I've no idea. I, mean, why I that suppose happened. if you grew up on that street, you almost certainly wouldn't have gone into the pub at the end of your street. Absolutely not. So, Expand your horizons. Yeah. You and also, this, it was, I, I was brought up in Croydon as well, so I didn't go to any pubs. <laughs> <laughs> Very wise. Mm. Um, I had a friend who had a recurring dream, which he was convinced was going to lead to his death. Oh. I wouldn't be able to go to sleep. No. That. That's, that's, that's the plot of Nightmare on Elm Street. What were the circumstances of the death in the dream? Uh, he would go to sleep mm. and then he would wake up and he'd be in his childhood bedroom, mm. uh, exactly as it was as he remembered it. And it was at the top of the house. 
and there mm. were stairs coming up from downstairs, and then they turned a corner, went up another flight of stairs, and then there was a landing and then his bedroom door, and he knew something was coming up the stairs, and he would wake up before it got to the door, but he said that every time he had the dream, it mm. got closer to his door, and he was convinced that if it ever came through the door, he wouldn't wake up. Wow. What mm. happened? I mean, He's still alive. <laughs> if, you're like, if you're like, yeah, actually had a heart attack and a sleep a few years ago, so we'll never know. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll never know. We'll never no. know. His eyes were open. He was staring into the distance, looking in horror at we don't know what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No. That's really chilling. Yes, I know. That's really, really chilling. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so you would really, really need to be able to control your dreams. Yeah, mine, mine was. Yeah, my recurring dream was just I kept going in this same place for a Carlsberg every Friday. Like <laughs> maybe that was the nightmare that you go. Oh, if you're not careful, you'll spend the rest of your life going to the same pub at the end of your road, having the same drink, the same night out every night. That it's like some Groundhog Day esque nightmare. That could be just foresight. I think. Hopefully. Mm, yes, mm. and you've got to say to yourself, it's probably the best lager in the world. <laughs> well, all right. I'm going to give you the ability to control your dreams. Mm. It's going to be in Thank there. Thank you. If you ever want to go in, it's going to involve three nights of work. So it's a no from me. But no, no, you. no. Absolutely yes. I can't be asked. Okay. So what's number three then, Glenn? Uh, the little bottle of water spray that they give you at the hairdresser's second before they cut your hair. <laughs> It's not water. I don't know what it is. I have tried it myself back at home. Honestly, I get a haircut only when I am most, when I'm like, the, the hair has gone past the point of no return. Mm. No, Nobody thinks this looks good. I'm in dire need of a haircut. My loved ones have abandoned me. Even the people who are mo- most most willing to be to be kind to me at every juncture are going. You must cut your hair. Um, <laughs> and as you say, you look like all the Beatles. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I usually have. I'd say my hair is abnormally short at the moment. For what it normally is, I usually have quite long, floppy hair. And um, I'll go to the barber so certain I'm ready for a haircut. I need it. And then just before the haircut, they do a little spray on my hair and I'm like, they go, what, what can we do for you? And I'm like this, leave it, leave it like this. I'll, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. For, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you 30 pounds for that. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I wish there was an option to just go in and okay, could you just do the spray? Cause I've, I even had a spray bottle at home that I filled with water and I tried it and it looked rubbish. I don't, I don't know what they're doing. Amazing. It's so good. Am I, am I, I mean, am I alone in thinking this? Well, uh, I like the sensation of it, but I've never looked at it and gone, wow, that's made my hair look fantastic. Uh, but then maybe, see, so you've got a fine head of hair and I have fine hair. So, uh, so You've got that, a nice amount of hair. Yeah, reasonable amount, but Look, any amount got... of spray, it goes flat. Nothing. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like like low water pressure shower sort of yeah. territory, yeah. 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 Mm. But you, you've got hair in every there's – no, there's no way you're missing hair. <laughs> that's, no. the, that's the crucial thing. So there you go. There's, yeah. Yes, even if it's not missing hair, a bit like Bobby Charlton wasn't missing hair, yeah. No, 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 but you haven't got a comb over it. it. It's all there in the right places. It's not one of those situations where someone goes, oh, just shave it off. <laughs> I, I, I went out of a girl about nine years ago who, this was bizarre. She went, oh, I noticed you've got a couple of grey hairs. It was like my first couple of grey hairs. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I do. And she was like, yeah, I guess you just, you know, shave it all off. <laughs> and I was like, what? And she went, well, you go, you know, no no, no one wants to go grey. And I was like, well, no, look at the, George, George Clooney. Like the go-to... Example, she was like, he needs to shave it up. You just, as soon as you go grey, you just shave, shave your head, go fully bald. And I was like, do you like bald men? And she was like, no. And I was like, right, so I'm going to get dumped. If I did that for you, you would then break up. Yes. So, I mean, I've, I've got, I've, I mean, I've got the hairline of a Lego. It's just fully square. There's no, mm. I, I know, I know, I'll never lose. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the fact I'll never lose it, but. I, it gets it gets very very unkempt after a while, and I just need to. I really want to slip the barber just an extra bit of just an extra just banknote and be like, what, "What's the secret, man? What's this spray? What is the spray?" Yeah, or can I just pop in every morning, just a fiver a day, a fiver a day, fiver a day, and I'll feel so so nice. It's a <laughs> magic, and I don't know. I don't know how they do it. It's incredible. I just want that. <laughs> it's the happiest I ever am. <laughs> For those few seconds. It's perfect, and then they destroy it by taking scissors to it, uh, which is what I asked them to do. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, true. But then all hairdressers have a style of hair that they cut, and I think it's almost when you go in and they say, well, how would you like it? I don't believe they really listen after that point because yeah. it doesn't really matter what you say to them. When I was young, if you went into a hairdresser's, you would say, could I have it? 
could you know like the bloke from Sweet? Uh, <laughs> do you know with it down the back? And they go, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they just get the clippers out. And that would be it. Yeah. And they go, see, you look just like him. Yeah. Yeah. When he was at school. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, when, I, when I first moved to London, I was living in, in Wilsdon Green in northwest London, and the, they had so many barbers that would just, they'd promise a five pound haircut. Mm-hmm. I've gone past them recently. I've now gone up to like eight pounds. So, cost of living, I mean, that's a massive percentage increase. <laughs> because, but five pounds was perfect. And they would simply give you an etymologically correct haircut. They would just simply. You'd go in and you would leave with less hair. That was that was the service they provided. They'd lift up your fringe, snip across, and go, there we go, thank you. And you would mm-hmm. just end with this, like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber, just this dreadful <laughs> sort of bowl cut. But you go, nah, five pounds. But and then I and then I and then it wasn't until I met my current partner, but she was like, Why are you paying five pounds for a hair? It, this is literally your head. Yes. Do you not care more about your head? <laughs> no, I know. It's almost a question you'd ask people when they say, I got it in Primark. And you say, why? But Primark's great. Primark is great for... Disposable clothes. Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. They, I need I need jeans today. I don't need jeans tomorrow. I just, <laughs> I need temporary jeans. Primark will sort you out. Honestly, they, uh, I, I get like running t-shirts from there, as in just big, baggy t-shirts and they last about two weeks and mm-hmm. then I'm like great I'll move on to the next one and there's something I think very satisfying about going through clothes I find this with running shoes I find it really nice that after a few you have to replace your running shoes because you know, they've worn down you go I can see the effort there mm. I burnt through some clothes you go that's <laughs> power that's power right there <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I get nervous during haircuts anyway because I always forget to put contact lenses in. I'll go in wearing glasses, have to take my glasses off, can't see a thing. Mm. And the before and after, it's like it's like an old episode of Blind Date. I uh, they you know when they do the whole mirror behind your head at the end, I have to put my glasses on and go. Right, I haven't seen any of the process. <laughs> it's fully just a before and after photo. So I've got you know by that point, it's it's too late. It's a strange thing to ask, is that okay? Because it's you sort of go, well, you can't put anything back. Yeah. So why are you asking? Yeah, that's, I've always maintained that the first mohawk was just a guy trying to get his sideburns level and it just got <laughs> out of hand. <laughs> I think you're probably right. Or maybe one of those uh, hair-cutting changes. The fact that now if you go in, people light a torch. Oh, burn your ears. Burn your ears. I mean, I'm I'm so hairless outside of my head that there's. Oh. I mean, I just, I've an inability to grow facial hair. There's just nothing. I've tried to do like Movember before, and it's just been degrading. I get to the 25th <laughs> of November, and people are like, you, "Do you reckon you'll do it next year?" And I'm like, "I'm doing it this year. I'm three and a half weeks in." There's just nothing, and so I've never understood the whole. Oh yeah, they burn the little hairs in your ear because I just don't have them. Oh, you're lucky. You're lucky. I have recently bought a specific shaver. For shaving my ears. For ears. For shaving mm-hmm. your ears. Yeah. Do you do yeah. you apply aftershave or what do you do, <laughs> do you have to apply shaving foam? <laughs> I don't know. It's an electric razor. And because it's near my ears, I can hear the work that's going into it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it quite satisfying? Is it a bit like when you when you hoover a particularly crumb filled carpet and you can hear the rattling? Sadly, yeah, it feels rather pointless because you know that the next day uh, my, my ear hair grows much faster than the rest of my hair. That's so... Unwanted hair always does that. But do you you get them to do it at the barbers? And what do you ask? Do you you just ask for it all off or do you go, can I have a number three? (laughs) (laughs) I'd like one of those little patterns in it, please. (laughs) Yeah, I'd like the uh, Nike tick. Could you do 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 that? I am tempted, though, when the hair finally all goes. uh, I'm just going to let it grow and then tie it in a knot on the top of my head. And that would be the ultimate Bobby Charlton, won't it? Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. It might yeah, be absolutely. my tribute to him. Yeah. God bless him. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> there we are. Okay, well, um, yes, yeah, so magic spray, the tiny mm. little magic spray that makes your hair perfect. That's in number three. Okay, so we've got two left. What's next? The next one is a shop called Silver Screen, which lasted for about six months. Um, it was a DVD shop and it was my favorite. It was just my favorite. For some reason, 
in the same way that people get quite um, sentimental about vinyls and it makes sense that they sort of made a comeback and, you know, eventually with sort of CDs, that was sort of a last stand of like, you know, you still get this sleeve that you can sort of read through and mm-hmm. and that was always quite nice. I, I always liked the idea of something you could sort of read on the bus home after buying that sort of thing. Um, I used to have it with like video game manuals as well, like buy a video game, but read the whole manual on the way home, even mm-hmm. though it was just instructions. But um, but DVDs were like the, la- the last thing for me for that. And I, I the first DVD I ever bought was from this place called, called Silver Screen. And there was something just about the aesthetic. It was just this light panelled wood. It just felt really classy. It was just because uh, I associated DVDs with only millionaires have DVD play. I just assumed it was something because it was just so futuristic to me. I was just obsessed of, you know, and it provided me with the first DVD I ever bought, which was which was The Green Mile, the Tom Hanks film. Uh, and it stayed film. with me so much, mainly because I, I love that film. Mm. But we watched it with my uh, my grandmother over Christmas one year, and I think she was just sort of drifting in and out of sleep sort of throughout. It's a three-hour film. It makes mm-hmm. sense. Now, I'm, this is fair warning. I'm going to spoil the film. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's about Tom Hanks being a, a, a prison warden on death row and um, a, a, an eight-foot man played by uh, Michael Clark Duncan, is is accused of killing two girls and is sent on to death row. But it comes quite apparent that he's got some sort of spiritual aura to him where he can, like, heal people. He obviously has not killed these girls. And he's... He, but he's got incredible sort of healing abilities. And it's this real tragedy of, well, you know, you know he's going to be killed on death row. What what can they do? Mm. And eventually, you know, ultimately they sort of they, they sort of fail and, you know, he, he gets sent to death row and, and towards the end of the film he, he gets killed in the electric chair. Um, my grandmother had been asleep during each scene that had established his innocence. <laughs> and I remember being really embarrassed about the idea of um, not crying around my family, but crying at a work of fiction in front mm. of my family. You know, I was really on the verge of tears watching the green Mile. I was so, so emotional. And at the end, you know, John Coffey gets killed and I was really struggling to hold back the tears. And out of nowhere, my grandmother went, good riddance. <laughs> <laughs> He deserves it. Yeah, <laughs> that has stayed to me so much. The confidence with which she m- muttered it, and you go, does the music not seem strange to you? Does the whole atmosphere? The other prison wardens are all weeping. What do you think is? That? Do you th- are you really confident you've missed nothing? Good riddance. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I loved those DVD shops. They were great. So great. Silver screen sounds that sounds like a step up. But for me, a Friday evening where you'd say, should we watch a film? And then you would do the journey. You would go to Blockbuster. It was great. And you would look through, see what happened. Oh, the latest films are quite expensive. Let's see if there's an old film. And you'd pick out maybe one, two, and then you buy popcorn and you buy a bottle of Coke. And you, you go back and you think, well, this is it. We're going to create the cinema in our own home. And we're going to sit here as a family and watch it. Yeah. How lovely. It's a sort of an event now. If you say, what do you want to watch? You can watch anything, anything, whenever you like. Yeah. And it has taken away a lot. It's it's a shame. I guess the only way we can replicate that Blockbuster experience is we still ultimately have the cinema. And Blockbuster mm-hmm. was trying to replicate the cinema experience. So you go, if you're really, if people are, you know, very feeling mel- melancholy about the idea of, you know, I've done it before, occasionally gone on YouTube and tried to find home video recordings of people walking around Blockbuster in like 1995. This is the sort of thing people <laughs> upload and I'm like, this is great. I do, I do that sometimes, just watch POV videos on YouTube of like life experiences that I had. I used to enjoy watching like home videos on YouTube of people on roller coasters that I'd really enjoyed being on at Disney World because right. I went when I was seven years old and I'd be like, yeah. oh my God, I remember the exact layout of his roller. Yeah, it turns left here and it does a barrel of and there's a loop at the end and it ends here. And I, I really loved it. And there's, there's loads of videos of that sort of thing of people sort of walking around Blockbuster and stuff like that. But the, the cinema is still the, that's the pinnacle, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah. But you're yeah. absolutely right that I get no pleasure. It is a chore going through Netflix and Prime and Star and all those. I just, I get <laughs> nothing out of it. And there's just, it just leads to paralysis and anxiety. Yes. Of, or suddenly you decide minutes in, you don't like any films. I don't think I like any film. It's really, it's it's a strange sort of sense of doubt that I only ever get, aside from them, is if I'm really dying at a stand-up gig and really having a tough one. Mm. And I deliberately force myself into a stand-up style of tell as many jokes as you can, weave them all together, write as tight a set as you can, where it's just joke, 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 mm. so that you'll never have this feeling. And yet I still do. If ever I'm having a bad gig, I'll suddenly have this thought of just, 
Where's the next joke? I don't think I've got any. Have I ever written a joke? I haven't got any. <laughs> the next joke is half an hour away. I'm going through and I'm like, I've got no... Nothing funny here at all. There's nothing here. And that's what I get every time I browse through Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> A beautiful description. Yeah. Well, I will put in silver screen because I should imagine that it's a great loss in your life, but also for any stand-up comedian who's really starting to make their way in the world now, Mm. the death of the DVD means that you'll never be as rich as those people who did it in the 80s and 90s. No, no. no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Mm. well, never mind. I'm sure something else will come along. It's not going to be streaming, though. No. You're right. Mm. <laughs> oh, to be a DVD comedian. I could probably still release a special on DVD and sell... Because, do you know what? I needed a DVD case for a visual joke I was doing on um, 8 Out of 10 Cats a few months ago. Mm. And um, i just arrived at the Edinburgh Fringe and we were filming in Manchester. So I got to the Edinburgh Fringe, got straight on a train back down to Manchester to film it, and went back, straight back to the Edinburgh Fringe. And I was like, I need a DVD case. And I, I thought, it's going to be impossible. I left mine at home. I've got one DVD and I left it at home. Mm. And uh, I went to HMV. They've still got a floor dedicated to DVDs. I couldn't right. believe it. Yeah. And it's not in like, uh, hey, this is a trendy, you know, it's like, this. It, it's cyclical. It's, you know, it's it, it's vinyls have come back around again. It's like, no, yeah, they just yeah. never got rid of their DVD section. Really right. strange. Really well, strange. So they must sell them. Oh, right. Well, that's that's promising. That's mm. good. Get that DVD out. Get a DVD out, yeah, Even yeah. if it all it is is that at the end of every gig, you have to go and meet everybody and say, what a DVD? Yeah, 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 yeah. And they say, no, could I, could I have one of the really unusual ones, the ones that aren't signed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Silver screen, that's, in, that's number four, in it goes. Yes. So we've got one left, and this is one that you want to reject from your life. Yes, I want to reject. Now, this is more of a, a concept than anything else. It's one of the things I find most infuriating in my life, and it's it's preemptive telling off. Uh, <laughs> it, it, when when someone preemptively tells you off about something, and it, it's it's I, I think it's something I probably picked up from my parents that my mum would occasionally do this thing. It's an endearing quality looking back, mm. but we'd be going to visit like some family friends, and she'd be like, just as we're going in, she'd be like, don't be nasty to them. And you go, what? What? When? When? When have I? When? When have I done it? You're being aggressive right now. And I, no, no, no. That was a that was a reaction to the libelous slander. Um, and it's really strange. And I've had it before. My uh, something that it's a moment that's bothered me so much. I think about it so often. But I was in the lunch break of a temp job. Um, I think my sort of late teens. And um, I opened up a can of Diet Coke on the tube. And literally, as I just went to open it, a, a woman opposite me got my attention, told me, you know, so I took my headphones out and she went, I hope you're going to throw that away when you're finished with it. <laughs> I was just surreal. <laughs> I, 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 I just don't understand the thought process of, I've decided you're horrible <laughs> and you're going to be horrible, aren't you? Um, and it, it's it's very, very, it, yeah, it's, it's such a weird quality that I've encountered quite a bit in life. And I, I, I find people insistently telling you off without enough information. It's very social media-esque. Yeah, um, I, I, absolutely. People assuming that you're going to do something wrong or say something wrong or that yeah, you think something wrong. Yeah, you, I, I, you get it a bit in comedy to some extent. And, and this is reasonable. This is, this is reasonable. But sometimes if you're sort of doing, let's say you're doing a charity gig for a particular charity, mm-hmm. they'll be like, please don't make any jokes about such and such a disease. And you go, and, and they usually preface it with a, Obviously, we know you won't, but we we need to hear ourselves say it. And you go, well, that's fine. Yeah. You say, but cancer's all right, is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good, because that's half my set. Yeah. But you have it sometimes with corporate gigs where they'll they'll ring you up for like a lengthy half-hour phone call before, and they say in an almost like weary tone, oh, please don't be racist. <laughs> and you go, who did you book last year? Who, what has led you? <laughs> To, do you know, it's very strange. It really tells a story of last year's event. It's like if you go past a block of flats and they've got like a, a like a warning sign and it's like a picture of a trombone with a cross through it and you go, well, that's about one resident, isn't it? That's about one specific resident. Um, so it's really strange. And that happens quite a bit. That happens any corporate gig. And you go, well, to some extent that makes sense because a comedy club never tells you to do that sort of stuff because, you know, the idea of a comedy club is it's, you know, it's naughty, it's cheeky and they're happy with you to just, you know, make the audience laugh in any way you can. And I get that with a corporate gig, it's like you're representing the company and mm. it, it's kind of, okay, fine. Yeah. But 
it's so so strange when people. I I I think the most the most unreasonable telling off with minimal information I had was um, I used to be a newsreader. Uh, was was the sort of former the former career. I was a freelance newsreader, uh, mm. and then I I moved to London to try to pursue comedy and I would do any freelance news reading shift I could during the day and then any gig I could in the evening and I was doing lots of the sort of graveyard shifts because that, that just made sense as a, as a freelancer and the news never stopped so it was all the sort of read the news at 3am sort of thing I did yes. loads and loads of that so I used to read the news on LBC and that was when Katie Hopkins was a presenter on LBC um, and so I then wrote a stand-up show a few years later about a uh, a fictional radio station. The whole thing was, you know, complete nonsense. But then at the end, the idea was I sort of then moved to LBC, and then I played the audience audio of me reading the news on Katie Hopkins' show to prove that that was a, a real thing and a true thing. Mm. Uh, and then I just sort of laid into into Katie Hopkins on stage for sort of uh, for, for, for days a fair portion of the show. Yeah, right. And um, I remember uh, uh, I'd always sort of greet the audience as they left. And this was in, um, this was in Chelmsford, the, uh, a really, really lovely venue in their art centre and a really lovely audience. But uh, this this couple was sort of quite sort of slow to leave. And the woman came up to me and said, I, I really enjoyed it, but I that was really horrible at the end, the making fun of that, that TV presenter. <laughs> and I was like, I... Well, it was just you know, as as I said, I sort of you know stressed the sort of well, she she got sacked for a racist. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. And this is you know, Kate Hopkins, and she was like, that you know, that poor one, you know, she was the victim of an an, an acid attack. And I was thinking that didn't happen to Kate Hopkins. I mean, I mean, I, I I think you're thinking of the presenter Katie Piper. I got I was like, no, no, I was talking about Kate. And she went, well, who's Katie Hopkins then? And I went, oh right, okay. So Katie, and I explained to you who Katie Hopkins was, and then she that made her then double down on her anger with me and she went well you shouldn't be doing routines about people no one's ever heard of and I was like well no I, I mean the rest of the audience seemed to sort of get it and she was and she was like but you really sport the show by talking about someone we've never heard of and I was like I can't, well I'm really sorry you feel that way I, genuinely I feel really apologetic and she went making fun of acid attack victims and I went no 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 we've already, es- <laughs> we've already established that wasn't true that didn't happen and she just walked away and, and she as far as she's concerned she would have left going yeah the moral high ground, that was really I'm bad I'm going to tell people about this. This like, horrible man. Honestly. And the, and the lovely Katie Piper. It was so, it was so <laughs> surreal. Um, and I, 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 yeah, I'm kind of, I, I'm really fascinated by that sort of unreasonable behaviour, but it most fascinates me when it's specifically preemptive and someone's just actively yeah. decided, yes, you're going to be cruel later. See, I never got in trouble at school. Hardly mm. ever. Once, I think. I was extraordinarily timid. I think is probably, or maybe deceitful, uh, one or the other. And so I was never in trouble. And I had one teacher who almost every lesson would say, right, come on, boys, quiet, quiet. Stevens, I'm watching you. You go, what? 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 Okay. <laughs> what, what, as an example of how to behave. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. It was. You go, name, name the incident that yes. this is stemmed from, please. <laughs> <laughs> establish a case before you start accusing me. It was quite extraordinary. He did it right the way through school. I had this with a teacher, Mrs. Ballantyne, and uh, she she was a geography teacher, and she used to, for some reason, she just decided I was a naughty kid. I couldn't, that couldn't have been further from the truth. And as a punishment once, she locked me in a cupboard. <laughs> She's like, Glenn, I'm sick of this. And it was like, I, I was the only one not to, because I was so... <laughs> Eventually, I started to almost like passively, aggressively be really well behaved, like mm. more so than I would have been in a class. Be like, I'm proving to you how insane this is. Yes. But if anyone started talking, you go, Glenn. And it was like, eventually, <laughs> it became like a running joke in the class. I'm not sure if I should admit this, but I, uh, when I was uh, 17, I had a, uh, a Saturday job at a library. And um, this is a couple of years after she left the school. And she came in to use, because the library also sort of doubled as like, a, you know, it had like an internet cafe sort of bit. Mm. And um, she came in to use the computer. And spent absolutely ages, like just typing out some admin, like filling out this form or whatever. She was there for you know at least an hour, and uh, just as her session was coming to an end, as the administrator, I was able to log onto her computer and I just deleted it. <laughs> Brilliant! She locked me in a cupboard. <laughs> yes, she but... locked me in a cupboard. Yes, but Mrs. Valentine, you won't remember this, but she said you get in that cupboard because. I've had a dream that I was in control of last night. <laughs> yeah. And in it, you were doing a terrible routine about Katie Piper. It was just so unfair. And she knew. Yeah. She knew. You deserved yeah, it. Yeah, the first day I met her as a teacher. You better not delete my work in seven years' time. <laughs> ben, it's been lovely to meet you. Honestly, likewise. Thank you so much for having me.
No, it's a pleasure. Absolute mm. pleasure. Thank you very much for doing it. Uh, Thank and good you. luck with the radio show. Good luck with uh, with everything. Oh yeah, you're I should doing. probably I should probably explain that. Or well, you can go on. Tell me about the radio show. Uh, okay, so um, well, what date is this going out? Just out of interest. Well, it'll probably go out in a couple of weeks' time. So you'll be halfway through. It'll the, be in the, the middle series. of the series. Okay, yeah. it's called Glenmore's Almanac or Almanac pronunciation um, uh, pending. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is uh, each episode is a half hour of stand up about a date in my lifetime of huge historical importance tim peak being the first british male astronaut to go to space the royal wedding that sort of thing mm. uh but it's ultimately about what i was doing on that day and this each stand-up <laughs> episode about what i was doing on that day and how it somehow coincidentally linked with what was going on in the world Brilliant. um so it's very very it's very silly and it's got the usual one-liners and callbacks and structure that, that if anyone has ever seen my stand-up before would would sort of uh, hopefully uh, expect or want to see and so yeah it's just a, it's a it's a it's a real public radio for have taken a, a chance um uh i mean i'm, I'm saying this uh, we, we're speaking just as episode one is is about to go out in a few hours time and they might they might pull the rest of the series for all no it's a runner thank you so much it's gonna go on and on and it's fantastic oh that's so kind of you thank you you definitely are. I look forward to seeing your career blossom and grow and be fantastic. Well, that's very, very kind of you indeed. Thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Glenn Moore. Now, if you've listened regularly, I'm sure you would have skipped on past the next wad of information about me and the podcast. But if you're new to this podcast, then this is for you. Firstly, thanks for listening. Secondly, please subscribe, rate or review this podcast to encourage others to listen. Thirdly, do follow me and my time capsule independently on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and or threads for information and a chance to chat with us. Or you can email mytimecapsulepodcast at gmail.com. Fourthly, you can listen to the theme tune in full on Spotify. It was written and performed by Pass the Peas Music, who are available to write something for you if you want a classy bit of music in your life. Fifthly, you can get this podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details in the description of this episode, where you'll also get a bonus episode once a week, my time capsule, The Debrief. Sixthly, that's not easy to say. This was a cast-off production for Acast. And seventhly, it was produced by John Fenton Stevens. Right, I'm off to the gym to get fit before Christmas. Not sure it's going to work. My personal trainer's philosophy is no pain, no pain. So we tend to just go to the cafe and have a cup of tea and a cake. Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.